This is Know It All, the ABCs of Education, a platform of Allison Brown Consulting, ABC, where we empower our listeners with insightful information about equity in education. holidays, seasons, greetings, happy new year. Welcome, welcome, welcome to this last know-it-all, the ABCs of education of 2013. We are looking forward to sending 2013 off with a bang as we talk about the most important folks in education, our teachers. Let me just remind you to listen to know-it-all, the ABCs of education, every Tuesday morning at 10 Eastern or at any time from your computer at blogtalkradio.com know-it-all, where you can also access the chat room during the show and follow know-it-all for regular updates. I am your host, Allison Moore Brown, President of Allison Brown Consulting, ABC, where we create education equity plans and promote equity in education in compliance with federal civil rights law. Our website is allisonbrownconsulting.com. There you can read our blog and subscribe to the ABC Know-It-All newsletter. If you're tweeting, follow me at Allison R. Brown and tweet about the show with the hashtag KnowItAllABC. So here we are. New Year's Eve 2013 is almost over, and what a year it has been for teachers. 2014 is shaping up to be just as exciting. My guest this morning is Elizabeth Davis. Ms. Davis is president of the Washington Teachers Union in Washington, D.C., and she's an educator with 41 years of experience as a classroom teacher. Welcome to the show today, Liz. Thank you so much for joining me. Good morning. Thank you, Allison, for inviting me. Happy so New Year's want, Eve, by the way. Well, Happy New Year's Eve to you also. <laughs> and I actually want to start by uh, reflecting on uh, 2013 and, and uh, how it, we've seen so much this year. What have been some of the highlights and lowlights of the past year for, for teachers? Well, I, I would love to say specifically in Washington, D.C., but I would have to say what has been happening in D.C. has been happening across the nation. Um, one of the, the larger issues that we faced in D.C. has been the, uh, the reform effort uh, that is attempted to be made in D.C. right now. And, of course, uh, reform is necessary, but some of the initiatives that have been put forth as uh, reform has really not been healthy for schools or students or for our communities. And one of them has been the, the closing and consolidation of our public schools. Um, I've worked with several initiatives over the past 15 to 20 years with community organizations in D.C. to, um, to fight the, the notion of privatization, which seems to be consuming our public school system. And it's still, in, in 2012-13, that remains to be an issue and continues to be an issue. Um, we had a number of our public schools closed in Washington, D.C. Uh, the community, uh, of course, uh, pushed back on that and been, been, has been to no avail. But parents in the community and educators who support public education, uh, which we know is a right for all students, has um, not been able to get uh, um, a grip with uh, leader, city leaders on the necessity of maintaining a quality public education system. So a lot of the results, a lot of the effects of, of uh, this move to privatize public education has um, 
created some other issues for teachers. So 2012 and 13, going into 14, we are basically moving forward with some of the same issues that we were faced with in in the previous year. And and even though I could cite hundreds of them for you, uh, at the root of the the problem, because some of the issues that I'm going to talk about, Allison, are really not the problem. They are basically the, I would say, the results or or the um, symptoms of the problem. Um, uh, For as long as I've taught in D.C., and that's been 41 years, I have watched the proliferation of charter schools grow in some of the most underserved areas in D.C. I watched D.C. vouchers come in and the efforts to stop that by Congresswoman Norton and a number of uh, community organizations. But that was sort of an an open door to what we are experiencing right now in D.C., which is privatization at its very best, this notion of... um, the top-down corporate model as the best model for reforming schools has been has basically proven not to be beneficial um, to students and certainly not beneficial to communities. So, uh, you know, I'm thinking of, of teachers and, and your role with students, you know, you often hear, especially in the school reform conversation, you often hear people talking about teachers uh, being on the front lines, so to speak, as though teachers are going into battle, going to war against their students. Will you speak on that that framing? Where do teachers really fit in the larger picture, and what is their role? Well, I haven't had the, the teachers being on the front line um, suggest to me that they are actually the ones who are closest to students. They're the ones who are aware of those things that prevent students from from arriving at the goals that we set for them. Um, And they're also fully aware, they're the experts on what students need to come, what the needs are uh, coming from from various backgrounds. And of course, one of the areas that teachers in D.C., specifically in in several wards in D.C., seven, eight, east of the river, which is basically where I've spent most of my teaching career, uh, there seems to be uh, double standards in terms of what schools and teachers and students in those in that part of the city, what resources they receive. And there has been uh, historically been um, uh, um, inequities in the way schools have been uh, funded and resourced. So being on the front line to me suggests that teachers are the ones who know best uh, what, learn, what students are coming to school, what issues they're confronted with, what resources they need, and they're also the ones who are, have more in, in interaction with parents with uh, the community, with um, and, and of course with um, uh, legislators about what's needed in the schools. However, the voice of teachers has been stymied over the years. So if you are not talking to teachers or you're not including them in dialogues about school reform, about professional development, uh, about um, graduation rate, school budget, teacher evaluation, uh, some things are going to be, um, they're going to be missteps. And, and that's what I'm experiencing now. And I've not always been in a situation where teachers did not have, take participation in decision-making at their local schools. But over the years, that has diminished. Um, teachers being on the front line notes to me, Allison, that 
they are the ones who are in the best position to know what resources students need, uh, what resources the schools need, what they're lacking in order to help students reach the bar that's being constantly raised, a bar that's being raised not only for students but for teachers and for the schools as well. And one of the things that teachers are, uh, are, are trying to, to focus attention on is the need for us to put the resources, the support that, that teachers need, that students need, and that schools need in order for us to reach the bar which is constantly being raised. No one is listening. No one has, and, and, of course, the effort that is now being made by D.C. community, by the teachers' union in D.C., is to have others, legislators, uh, the decision makers about public education, the chancellor, D.C. Public School Administration in general, to begin to include the voices of parents, teachers, and the community in conversations and decisions made about our schools. That has, that has been the major request. Um, and, and, of course, teachers, some of the issues that they're confronted, they're confronted with in schools is not so much students, but the lack of resources that they need to engage students. So there's a huge difference there. Uh, and, of course, it may come off as being teachers who are having difficulty with students who, because they are, they are clashing with students and their communities of parents. That's not the case. The case is that they, some of those are a result of teachers not having the resources they need in order to do their jobs and do them well. And, and so where does the, the teachers' union come in, what, first of all, how did teachers' unions originate for, for the audience, and then what is their role today? Well, the, the role of teachers' unions has generally been to ensure equity for teachers. Um, when you look back over the years, the, the professional rights teachers did not have, and, I mean, years and years ago, believe it or not, if a teacher even married during the time uh, he or she, she, I would say, women, female teachers, uh, were uh, punished for marrying at the beginning, you know, if they were single when they were hired years ago. I know that's, that's difficult to believe, but over the years, uh, the professional rights of teachers, the civil rights of teachers has dramatically changed, and, and, and the role of teachers' union um, made that possible. Uh, it changed, of course, that role has changed also. But for historical reasons that we already know about, teachers' unions basically uh, emerge as a way of protecting teachers' rights and supporting teachers' professionalism and checking administrative power, um, which it seems that we are evolving. We, we are basically uh, going back to, to practices uh, that um, thrived before teachers' unions. And, of course, because of the stereotypical box that teachers' unions have been put into by, um, by uh, academics who believe that teachers' unions have been roadblocked to reform. Um, do, some of them don't truly understand why teachers' unions emerged in the first place. But unions, teachers' unions in particular, have changed over the years. They have, have uh, evolved into um, unions that are more social justice in nature. Their practices are not, or their issues are now framed around uh, students uh, preserving public education, um, those things that the community have basically been led to believe that teachers are not interested in. So even though unions were 
teachers unions were organized to protect teachers' rights in their professionalism uh, through collective bargaining. Over the years, the realization has come that teachers' unions, in order to survive, have got to re-transform themselves uh, into what they have basically been about, even though it's about them fighting for the rights of teachers. Uh, it, in the process of doing that, it is also fought for the protection and the rights of public schools and, and students. We've just not done a very good job in framing our issues around that. So we've sort of been uh, rubber stamped as uh, organizations that are only interested in protecting uh, bad teaching, bad teachers, and teachers' rights, their pay raises, the bread and butter issues that are usually associated with teachers' unions. But teachers' unions are emerging into organizations that are focusing its attention on the larger issues, the issues of, of, the, of the need for public, school, public education, number one. Um, the, the idea that um, privatization uh, may be more harmful to community, even to the, to, to the notion of, of democratic participation than we'd like to believe. But um, public schools, when you think of as an African-American educator, uh, coming from a segregated school system as a, a student in elementary school, I know what um, the other side of the coin would look like when you have um, an education system that is not for all students. So the Washington Teachers Union, other local unions across the nation, are paying attention to this slow but, but, but steady movement to privatize public education and the dangers that come with that, and, and the dangers of undermining democracy even. But to, to have schools that are, do not serve all students, um, in my opinion, is a, is a huge misstep that could lead to consequences that we do not want to relive. Uh, separate but, but not equal school systems. In D.C., for 41 years I've taught in Ward 7 and 8. I've observed in silence the idea of basically two school systems, east of the river and west of the park. You know, it, it's not talked about a lot, but being in D.C. public schools for that length of time, I have had an ample opportunity to observe the disparity and, and how schools in various parts of the city and how students are served and what resources they have ac access to. So um, a lot of the what we perceive as the academic achievement gap, in my opinion, is uh, really an opportunity to learn gap. Students in uh, many of the schools, and I've taught in nine of them, Allison, uh, do, simply do not have access to uh, all of the resources that other students have. And that is a discussion that teachers will bring to the table because they are in the schools, they are on the front line with students, and they get to see the social injustices that many of our students are up against without advocacy. In many cases, parents who want to advocate for their children but are simply, simply may not have the know-how or the support that they need to do so. Teachers are, are the best advocates for students in the absence of, of, of uh, any other advocacy. So I would venture to say that teachers are truly the experts on what is required to reform our schools because they know firsthand what, uh, what situations in which our students are facing. But, but in addition to that, they also know the effects of poverty on students who come to school every day 
uh, without the resources that they need, without the support they need. And when they enter into schools which are not equipped with those resources, that's a double-edged sword. And, and teachers are the ones who are now saying, this, enough is enough. So the, role, the union gives protection to teachers who basically step up to say, our school, uh, we do not have the resources that are needed in order for us to reach the bar that is, is being raised. And, in, and as a teacher in D.C., I've been in nine schools, as I mentioned before. Uh, I did not voluntarily transfer Allison from one school to the other. In many cases, the transfer was based on um, my advocating for student resources, um, for healthy conditions, for safe conditions in the schools to which I was assigned. So if, if you have a school district that does not reward teachers who do, do that and, but instead punish them, the most valuable resource a teacher could have would be the protection of a teacher's union, which is the only reason why I still have a job, um, in addition to the fact that of being a, a, what I've been perceived as a very good teacher. So the role of the teacher's union has, has definitely changed. Uh, one of the reasons I suspect I was elected by, the DC, by D.C. teachers is because of the platform that we ran on, which was uh, that we wanted to uh, restore uh, union democracy, but one of the larger promises was that we wanted to build alliances with parents because parents are teachers' best allies, and we have failed at the job of, of, of forging an alliance with parents and other um, local unions that support school workers because we're all one team. The parents, teachers want the same thing for students that parents want. So we should, there's no reason for us to be on two sides of the bed. So, you know, you mentioned the, some of the very stark disparities that we see here in Washington, D.C., in terms of resources. You have, you know, the, the city is essentially split in two. So you have the um, east of the park, east of the river, uh, communities that are you know, that are more low income and um, uh, black and Latino than uh, the, the communities west of the park, west of the river, uh, that are more middle and high income and white. And there are lots of equity issues there for students in terms of uh, resource allocation and student discipline and special education. Um, and there are, of course, varying degrees of ideas about what to do um, to address inequity in educational opportunity in, in D.C. Uh, and D.C. Is, is a microcosm, I think, of what's happening around the country. And so this, the disparity that we see here in, in D.C. is, is um, not unique. Uh, we see similar disparities all over the nation um, and similar conversations about what to do about that inequity happening all over the nation. Um, and so as, as we see here locally, legislators weighing in and um, uh, pundits weighing in and others with their ideas and concepts about what to do, teachers are there um, and they are every day going in and administering to children and, and um, addressing student needs. How have you uh, as, as a teacher and representative for teachers, how have you seen teachers really dealing with conversations that are taking place, as you said, largely without them at the table about how to address, how to address inequity 
an educational opportunity for students in uh, all over the country. Well, I, I want one of the um, first things I decided to do, Allison, when I took office about, about maybe a little over four months ago, was to go to every school and to actually talk to the teachers in each school. Um, every day I visit a school during the teacher's lunch break or after school just to get uh, have them to, number one, share uh, with me and the WTU what are some of the issues that they're confronted with. But professional development is one of the um, issues that comes to mind after talk. I've visited 42 schools at this point since school has opened this year. Um, but the, the need for um, instructional support, uh, especially by teachers who have just begun their teaching career, I met with over 500 new teachers in August who were recruited by the school district at uh, Columbia Heights uh, School. And I'm, I'm running into those new teachers in the schools I'm visiting now, and they're different people. You know, they were excited and enthusiastic the, the day I met them at Columbia Heights the week before school opened. And as I run into these teachers in the various schools uh, throughout the city, uh, what I'm hearing is, is, is it, it's horrific. Um, in many cases, actually in all cases, the, the only support that they've received as first-year teachers has been um, an assignment of a classroom, a class roster, um, and the key to the room. But as far as having uh, mentoring or any support, any instructional coaching, um, that has not happened. So basically they've just sort of been thrown into a situation uh, to do a job without any support, without the professional development that they need, uh, without sufficient planning time, without sufficient lunch periods. So, when, and of course, this situation appears to be different in schools that I visit east of the river. Um, when I, I, I'll visit a school, uh, started elementary school, for example, I did not listen, hear teachers complaining about a lack of planning time or, or, or shortened lunch period or not having a, a quality professional development. So there is a disparity in what teachers, what resources and support they're receiving based on what schools they're assigned to. Um, and this is nothing that is news to any city legislator that has been in this city uh, who's, who has been elected to an office. This, the, the lack of teacher's voice in many of the conversations, many of the decisions that are being made has led to what we have now. Um, if planning is, is necessary for teachers in order to develop lesson plans, in order to, if collaboration is necessary, the time for teachers to be able to sit with each other, new teachers to be able to meet with veteran teachers or more experienced teachers for support. That has not been, that's not happening. Uh, and and the, in the last few schools I visited, Allison, there were new teachers who were recruited at the beginning of the school year who are now being evaluated by an evaluation process that they are not even familiar with. They have had absolutely no training about it, um, they've had no orientation. Uh, they simply they have no the guidelines, the handbook that is supposed to be provided to teachers explaining the entire evaluation process, which is quite complicated, um, has not been provided. 
we we've uh, initiated Common Core standards in DC. But I'm talking to new teachers who have had absolutely no professional development uh, on Common Core standards. So when I and of course the like I mentioned the conversations from, that I'm having with teachers in schools west of the park are quite different from those that I'm having with teachers east of the river. And that's a red flag to me, teachers who are complaining about oversized classes. I've actually talked to new teachers who have students up to 45 students in a classroom. It's just an elementary classroom. That's Did you say 45? Of. 45, 30, mm-hmm. 35. The reason why we have a collective bargaining agreement is to ensure that teachers are provided caseloads of students that, that's, um, that, they, that, can, that they can teach. 24, 25 is the limit, which is still quite high for an urban school district. But when you have a teacher with 30 and 35 students, that's un- it's, un- <laughs> it's unthinkable. And, 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 the reason, and one of the reasons why we, we, it's necessary to have a collective bargaining agreement is to protect teachers against the, uh, um, conditions such as that. Because bad teaching conditions are bad learning conditions. They go hand in hand. The disparity between the schools is quite evident, and I've always known that it existed, but it has become more evident uh, since I've taken office and in talking to teachers one-on-one about what's happening in their individual schools. So, you know, basically a lot of the issues that unions have fought with over the years um, to maintain class sizes for teachers that are possible to teach, uh, to provide professional development for teachers, to provide safe, healthy learning conditions, schools that are safe. That Unions are necessary in order to not only safeguard the, the working conditions of teachers, but necessary to safeguard the learning conditions of students. And, and of course, when parents see teachers standing up and speaking out, uh, on behalf of, of, of students and, uh, and, and good learning environments, good curriculum, textbooks, resources, wraparound services, that begins the process of forging an alliance with parents. And so, you know, we, we've got to, um, to recognize, number one, that if teachers are left out of conversations and decisions that are being made about the schools, uh, it's going to lead to, continuously lead to the problems, many of the problems that we're facing right now. So I want to talk specifically about some of the issues that we've seen um, over the course of the past of the past year in 2013. Um, let's start with high stakes testing. We saw teachers um, from Seattle to uh, Connecticut um, actually speaking out in protest of the high stakes tests that their their students have to take. Uh, and the the accountability um, measures that are attached to those tests. Will you talk about high stakes testing versus you know real tr- true diagno- diagnosis and assessment of student needs? Well, I and I, I know that testing seems to be driving everything: school reform, decisions, elections, um, and I and, and of course I I was in a school last year. Um, I taught at Phelps High School for five years, the last five years. 
And I've always administered um, the standardized test and have watched over the years how um, the curriculum has been reshaped as a result of teachers having to be sort of forced to focus their attention on test-taking um, skills, um, test prep. You know, I've even observed how budget, school budgets are being used to purchase test prep materials as opposed to textbooks. Um, the, the, what I'm observing is a shift from teachers focusing their attention on providing a rich, rigorous content, instruction to students. It being replaced by sort of kill and drill test-taking skills. Uh, the, the focus at my last school uh, and this is not uh, this is something that is that is happening nationwide, not simply in D.C. and not si- simply in the schools I'm taught, but but citywide, nationally, where teachers are almost mandated to focus on test taking, focus on the students who have the capacity to move the test scores to the next bump, the students who are on the bubble forgetting the students who are on the left side of the bubble, the ones who basically get left behind. So the focus has been on drilling those kids on the bubble to pass the test um, so that we can beat our chest later and say that we had a 4% hike in our test scores. But, but the story that doesn't get told is what happened to those students who uh, did not move forward. When, we, we're, when teachers are given classrooms of students who come into a grade level and they may be four or five or six grades behind and told that they ought to move them to proficient and their evaluation score is based on them being able to do that. That is a setup. It's a setup for the students and the teachers and the school. It's unreal. Uh, it's, it's not even considered. When, when we look at the, the bump in our NAEP scores, when we look at the, the increase we had in our D.C. task scores, we've also got to be honest about taking a close look at what happened to other students, all of the students, the ones who didn't move, the, what percentage of students were left out of the mix, what type of instruction was delivered to students who were able to move forward. Was it the type of instruction that would make them fiscally responsible citizens? I think not. We're, we're, ta- we're talking about basically teaching students how to become professional test takers. So what happens to them when they leave high school and land on a university campus with or without scholarship? Can they maintain their status as a student? That is the question. How often do we see students who, who graduate because it is important that our graduation rates increase as well? And, and we get excited and we celebrate the fact that we, and we should always celebrate student achievement, always. Celebrate the teachers who make it possible, who make it happen, not fire them. But we also need to be honest about what happens to students who are not getting um, the academic preparation that they need from a rich curriculum, from quality instruction. You know, we need to focus on what happens to them even the ones who are able to achieve on a standardized test. 
how do, are we tracking the students to see what happens to them after they leave high school? After they, in, many, in many cases where they have uh, been taking uh, accelerated courses to ensure that they're able to, to, um, to graduate, but were the courses sufficient uh, for them in order to go on to a university and, and, and sustain themselves on a the campus for four or six years? Uh, there, there, as a teacher of 41 years, Allison, and someone who actually attended elementary, middle, and high school in D.C., as a student and as a teacher, beginning my career at Jefferson Junior High School in 72, I know what quality teaching looks like, what, teach, what teaching does for students when, when the focus is on a curriculum with, with the resources that teachers need, um, with rich literature, access to books, libraries, and having teachers who have been prepared to teach the content, teachers who have been formally trained in universities to teach their content. Um, we're just basically getting, uh, right now, subjecting students to, um, in many cases, a curriculum that is, is being framed by a test a curriculum that is focusing most of its attention on, that is focused mostly on the ability of a student to pass a test. Um, I, I think that our, uh, many of our students are losing as a result of that. The high-stakes test is, is, um, is leading to a, a movement to focus education on test-taking as opposed to instruct quality instruction as opposed to quality teaching. And it's a travesty. When teachers are not able to speak about the damage that this is doing to students, uh, when they are silenced by uh, fear and intimidation and top-down corporate-style management uh, tactics, you basically end up with a teaching force that is silent. And these are people who normally would be the first to speak out about what is wrong with our in our schools, what what practices or structures are in place in our school or school district that is not beneficial to students? Teachers are the first advocates. We are in loco parenti, in place of the parents. We have them six hours a day, and in many cases, eight and nine. So, uh, so someone needs to begin to listen to the teachers because, as you said, they are the ones on the front line. But that is not happening. And I do believe, Allison, that you know, part of the role of the teachers' union is not only to safeguard the professional rights of teachers, but also to safeguard them in a way that they can they can continue to be advocates for students. They can they can con safely continue to speak out about social injustices in their schools and in their school districts. We have a high population of Title IX students in Washington, D.C. And, 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 of course, we have um, special education programs that operate, supposedly operate in compliance with IDEA, but teachers who, special education teachers, service providers, many of them are aware of, 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 uh, of, of students who are not being well served uh, by schools, by the programs in schools that they're not receiving the resources that they're supposed to have. 
Um, and when and, and in many cases, when they identify, when they speak out about that, they're punished in some ways. Um, I mentioned that my transfer has been involuntary for several years. Uh, seven times I was involuntarily transferred. And in each case, it had nothing to do with my, my skill or ability to teach. It was always about my advocacy or my activism in the school or in the community. Um, the union, the new role of the teachers' union nationwide has been to preserve uh, public education in every way possible, even to the degree of speaking about speaking out about the uh, idea of privatization consuming our public school system. So let me ask you, um, we only have a few minutes left. Um, to just, you know, I think one of the issues that, that we hear often um, and the, the two of the, the players that we see pitted against one another are the teachers' unions against charter schools. Uh, will you just talk about, you know, as briefly as possible, the possibility, if there is any, of partnership there between teachers' unions and charter schools? Well, I, well, charter schools are supposedly public schools as well, and, and the only um, issue taken um, by teachers' unions about charter schools is um, – the accountability issue. I mean, the charter schools receive public dollars, and and, it, and they should be accountable to the public. In many cases, they're not. Um, I have observed over the years students who left public schools to uh, enroll in charter schools, but uh, could not stay for, for different reasons. Charter schools can simply um, give them back to the public schools if they are not uh, happy with their behavior or if they're not able to um, provide the resources the students need, especially if they're special needs students. So they are not accountable for educating every child. They can sort of cherry pick and sort the children that they want, that they recruit or, or choose to keep. The public schools uh, are required to educate every child. So my issue is that accountability. Um, the teachers should have the same protections that public school teachers should have, and one of the um, promises that I made um, in, in running for president of the teachers' union is to seek to unionize the charter school teachers. And we've already had requests from several charter schools who are interested in, in doing that, and we're interested in going forward with that. But it has not been an attack on charter schools as far as our local union is concerned. It's mainly been about um, accountability. The accountability, I don't know if charter school teachers um, are required to, to have the same certification as uh, other teachers, as public school teachers. Uh, I'm not sure if they are even um, evaluated by the same process that public school teachers are. I think it, whatever, it should be across the board, um, evaluation, certification requirements, uh, protections, job protections, professional prote uh, perfect, uh, protection of their professionalism, professional development, all of that. It should be 
whatever applies to the public schools should also apply to charter schools. And in many cases, I've observed students who left schools that I, in which I was assigned who were kicked back before December back to the public schools. Uh, they stay for maybe two or three months. And, of course, when that happens, the, the money does not follow them back to the public schools. And, and there, there's been uh, not enough accountability around that issue. Um, there not has not been enough accountability around um, some of the uh, the notions that their graduation rates are much higher, the test scores are high. Until we have uh, oversight, better oversight, a, a lot of, of what is happening in our charter schools um, basically should should uh, have I think it should have some stronger oversight. Um, so the, the, the idea of having charter schools to proliferate in D.C. Um, has also been an issue because it seems that they are only growing in the most underserved communities of D.C. You know, um, so you have parents who may not want their children in charter schools are busting their kids across town, elementary kids. This shouldn't be the case. Uh, there should be quality public public schools in every community in D.C. You know, this is, I mean, the same theater patterns that, that students have access to in Ward 301, students in Ward 7 and 8 and 5 should have the same access. You know, we, should, we shouldn't have kids catching a bus across town to get to a, a school or parents waiting in line for, you know, a lottery to have their child enrolled in, a, in an elementary school um, in another part of the city because their child does not have access to the same quality of, of learning at a school in their neighborhood. We should have quality public education in every part of the city. Charters are, are, are touted as the solution for choice. Mm-hmm. If charter is not a choice that parents want, the choice should be quality public schools in their neighborhood. Um, so the the idea is simply accountability, Alan, and it's not so much. Um, and, and charter schools are, are opening in every part of Ward Seven and Eight. You can just look at the map at the rate in which they're growing, but the accountability factor is, is simply not there, and it should be. Mm-hmm. Well, I I we're running short on time, and I just want to. Um, thank you, Liz Davis, for being on the show today. I want to spe- send a special thank you to my favorite teachers out there uh, that I've had over the years, and many, many thanks to my children's teachers and to um, my mother, a wonderful teacher as well. I know that teachers have tremendous expectations placed on them. Uh, they're expected to educate our children and and infuse them with knowledge and uh, educate every child who comes before them and every child, regardless of the um, information that child has already or access to information that child has already. Um, you hear about scaffolding and differentiated instruction and, and you have students with special needs and students, including gifted children and, and teachers are expected to keep parents and families informed and happy and complete paperwork that demonstrates that, that they are in compliance with with the law and and numerous legal requirements and now we're seeing the common core it's coming it's here for washington d c and uh there there is so much 
on teachers, and um, I just am very appreciative of their role in ensuring equity for our children uh, and and being advocates as well as, as all of the other hats that they have to wear, and I think that you are the, the consummate advocate, Liz, and I, I really I, think that you are an inspiration um, to, to so many. So thank you very much for being here, and Happy New Year. Thank you for having me, Alice, and Happy New Year to you as well. Bye-bye. My guest has been Elizabeth Davis. She is the president of the Washington Teachers Union in Washington, D.C., and she's an educator with 41 years of experience as a classroom teacher. Audience, you are now officially certified know-it-alls about the role of teachers in education today. Thank you so much for being here today. Happy New Year to you all. Remember to follow Know-It-All, the ABCs of Education on Blog Talk Radio. Follow me at Allison R. Brown on Twitter. Find ABC on Facebook and read my blog at allisonbrownconsulting.com. Thanks for listening. Have a wonderful week.